having things like a backyard becomes really important and space for the family. A property with a pool, probably. To see more of these kinds of designs or these kind of houses before I make up my own mind. Welcome to Real Talk, realestate.com.au's property news podcast. It's real questions, real experts, and real insights on the housing issues that matter with your host, Alice Piper. Hello, and thanks for joining me. In today's episode, we're focusing on the design behind the great Australian dream. With the average time living in one home increasing from seven years to 11 years, you could almost say we're looking to future-proof our homes now for our life changes to come. We spoke to some everyday Aussies about what's important to them in a home. So I'm looking to put a Murphy bed into my spare room so it can be a spare bedroom and also a gym slash office. We're looking into the idea of adding a bedroom that might help us. Backyard is very important to me just so that they've got some space. I want to make it work for me and, and my lifestyle, but I also want to be able to have people over. I think architecture has an influence on how we feel or behave. It might be very subtle, but I do think it needs to represent who you are. Joining me today is PropTrack economist Anne Flaherty, who has spent the last decade analysing the changes in the Australian property market, and Sophie Whitakers, who has 17 years of experience designing and delivering Aussie homes and catering to the needs and wants of consumers. So there's definitely a lot to cover in this episode, and I think a large reason why is that Australians are now seriously re-evaluating their needs and their wants when it comes to their home. On average, people are buying and selling less. You know, the increase from seven to 11 years kind of shows that it is proof that we're moving less and less. And why are people staying put in the current market? You talk about the average time people sell and buy being 11 years. In some suburbs, the average is over 20 years. What we see is that it's actually getting more and more expensive to sell and buy a new property over time. Stamp duty is a massive part of the piece here. If you take a family that bought and sold a median-priced Sydney home four times over 20 years, they would have paid 10 times more in stamp duty compared to a family that stayed in the same home. So this keeps people in their properties longer. So it's almost like people are taking the money that they would be spending on stamp duty and maybe using that for renovation instead because generally they love where they live but circumstances in their life have just changed. Are we seeing a shift in what people want in a home? Like, and what are people searching for? Well, we've also seen a shift, especially pre and post COVID in how much space people are looking for. So during the pandemic, people spent a lot of time at home and suddenly they wanted more space. Now on the other side of COVID, people are still spending more time working from their homes and we are continuing to see people search for more bedroom space. We're also seeing a lot more people on realestate.com.au searching for keywords like home office, study, and the fact that, you know, we're seeing that extra bedroom still in demand shows that a lot of people are using that space as a work function. All right. So if we look at this from a very generalised perspective, people often move for a number of reasons in their life. So perhaps they've had another child and so they need to upsize or perhaps their kids have left home so they want to downsize. Maybe it's working from home, marriage as well as divorce. It could be getting a pet so they want outdoor space. You know, Maybe you've got a new partner so you move in together. I mean, the list is honestly endless. I have been hearing the term future-proofing when it comes to home design. Sophie, what does future-proofing actually mean? 
So I think there's really three key considerations when it comes to future-proofing. We look at it in terms of spatial future-proofing, so the flexibility of design and spatial arrangements. We look at the technological future-proofing, so allowing for future installation or upgrades of building systems, or maybe even the installation of adaptable and accessible fittings for ageing in place. And we look at resilience, which is really important in this day and age. So creating a super resilient building envelope so that on into the future, there's less maintenance and there's also less ongoing running costs. So resilience mean to the weather elements or does it mean to actual physical changes to the house? So resilience from our standpoint is about energy efficiency. So when you look at homes that can operate on lower running costs because say, for example, they have double glazing as opposed to single glazing, or they have more insulation so that energy costs as far as running heating and cooling can be mitigated. Sophie, all the things you just mentioned, are you finding that people come into your agency, they're actively looking for this stuff when they are designing and building their new home? Not necessarily. They're probably looking for maybe one or two of those. There's definitely an education piece from our side that comes with the starting of briefing a client about the options for their homes. We try to get these as the fundamentals right to start with, with the design, and then really work with the client on their brief to say, hey, look, maybe you don't need as much space as you think, but what we'll do is we'll build in some flexibility so you're not having to build redundant rooms, as an example, particularly with what build costs are at the moment. Okay, so what sort of things do you mean when you say flexible? Things like toy rooms, uh, we find that we'll have clients who come to us with young children and they're hoping to stay in place for a while. So typically our clients are people who are looking for what we call forever homes. I think this really uh, plays into the idea of kind of from an economic perspective that they can't really look at what they're doing to their property as overcapitalizing and that realistically they will have to stay in this house for plus 11 years to make sure that what they've spent and what they've invested really stacks up if they look to move in the future. We also see people using Murphy beds, larger bedrooms that can be separated. We see a lot of people with young children, say, have one large bedroom to start with when all the kids want to sleep together. Once they become teenagers, they can add in a wall later on and make sure that the access points are still workable. We look at separating the house into wings a lot of the time, so using gardens and courtyards to create two separate wings of a house so that once children are young adults, that they can have their own space in the house. If it's possible, we try to have two separate entrances. Children can stay longer into life while having a bit of privacy from their parents. And why is flexible design and future-proofing so important from an economical point of view for the buyer? Well, I think having a home that is going to suit your needs at different life stages is absolutely critical for people. And of course, it does make sense if you can keep the home that you're already in adaptable. We definitely see people in their buy preferences look for spaces that are adaptable. From an economical perspective, it's about having a home that's going to suit your needs at different life stages. So rather than having to sell and move to a new home that better suits your changing needs, you can get that change from your existing property. It does sound like there are a few key reasons buyers should look for adaptability in home. You know, the less need for innovations, the saving the cost of having to move and upgrade your home. We talked about stamp duty before, but it could also possibly increase the value of your own home. So, Sophie, if we talk about new apartment design, it does seem to be leading the way with adaptability. A lot of large apartment blocks now do come with communal spaces. So dining rooms, rooftops, it allows you to have those parties that you want to have that realistically you might have them three to five times a year. So you don't actually need that space within your dwelling 
do you think the departments are driving the innovation in adaptability and flexibility just because they're being smarter with their space? I would say potentially the build-to-rent market is driving the innovation in shared spaces. I think larger corporate entities looking to hold assets for a long-term prospect want to invest in something that they know people are going to want to stay in. So the value adds in having additional spaces for people to kind of meet and enjoy outside of their apartment are really important. I heard a really interesting uh, anecdote recently about a project where they put in a bed sit. So as opposed to someone who would usually look at a two-bedroom apartment to have a spare room for guests to come and stay, they could buy a one-bedroom apartment and not have to worry about having the spare room just in case, which would otherwise be unused. So I think that's a really interesting proposition. How does that work though? What's a bed sit? So like a spare guest room for the whole project. I mean, it's a smaller scale project, so potentially it's more available than it would be in, say, 200 apartments. So I think this project's maybe around 35. And then it's just run through the owner's corporation and can kind of be booked separately when guests come to stay. So it's a room within the apartment block, but not within your apartment. Exactly right. And anybody who lives in the apartment block can have a guest stay there. Exactly. Oh, so cool. Let's stick with apartments for a minute because the apartment market really is changing the way people live and having those communal spaces and, you know, that bed sit idea is just so cool. In terms of changing the design to make them a variable option for families, that's a different story altogether because historically apartments were the stepping stone into the property market and then you moved into a larger dwelling when your circumstances change. You're a freestanding home, you give your kids a backyard. Sophie, do you think that flexible and adaptable design in the apartment market could actually cater for families for a really long time so they don't have to move? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's already happening. We actually designed and developed a building up in Brunswick called Terrace House. And as part of the structural design, we have open floor plates, essentially. They're separated now between apartments. But as an example, in the future, if one family living next door to another wanted to enlarge their home, potentially they could buy the neighbouring apartment and knock through one of the walls and it would open up their living space and they would go from having a two-bedroom home to a four-bedroom home. So this is kind of future-proofing in the initial design, but then also in the structure of the building. With Australia's population increasing by millions of people in the next couple of years, we've spoken before on the show about how increasing the density of our cities is probably the answer to this, making an already established area just work that little bit harder. Sophie, is there anything else that you think can be done in terms of flexibility in apartments that can allow families to stay there? I think having the additional amenity is really important, but in terms of the apartments themselves, really comes down to the size. And I think, unfortunately, in the past, apartment sizes are driven by spreadsheet metrics. So really, it's about profitability as opposed to livability. So what we look at is designing apartments as homes. As an example, not having bedroom doors coming off onto living spaces. That's something that's really important. So separating the living spaces from the sleeping spaces, it means that You know, if a child's asleep, they're separated from where the parents maybe are still awake. Just making bedrooms slightly larger can make a difference so that feasibly two young children can stay in one room for a long time without needing another space. And then flexi rooms are really important as well. So not necessarily something that's closed off to start with, but something that's open that can be a study, but then maybe in the future can be utilised to become a bedroom or a separate sitting space even for maybe for a downsizer market. This almost looks like, to me, a move back to the past because if we take Melbourne, for example, 
If you go down to the Bayside area, you do find a lot of Art Deco apartments and the bedrooms are more generous, the living spaces are more generous, but something that sticks out to me in terms of those 1950s, 60s and 70s apartment blocks is the zoned living, just what you spoke about, Sophie. I mean, there is a designated kitchen area, there is a designated lounge room. And now the apartments that we're seeing pop up, I guess, in inner city areas, it's almost like they're one big rectangle where every door comes off of that living area and it's just one big space open plan. We're talking about future-proofing and changing the design and making designated spaces so that it's more comfortable for people. It's almost just like we kind of got it wrong for a little while and need to move back to what we did in the past. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I mean, we talk about it being in defence of corridors because they've really looked at redundant space when actually they're quite valuable. We spoke to one person about the changing needs in their home life. I've lived in my current home for two years. Prior to that, I was in a smaller apartment and I had young kids and that was then the catalyst for us to move to that traditional family home, a bit more space and a bit more backyard. At the moment, we've got an office space within the home and we talk about if we do have more children, we would potentially convert that to a bedroom and where we've got the shed out in the backyard, we'd convert that to a work from home space. So I don't think we would be moving. I think we'd be sort of trying to better utilise the space that we have. Okay, so there's one person who, you know, did go from the apartment to the freestanding home, but what she spoke about was how things have, search terms have increased, you know, people are searching for work from home or study, they're looking at how they can adapt their home for their years to come, their forever home. It's changing the design of where she is now so that she doesn't have to move in the future, and I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that. Do you think with this smart home design that we'll see an increase in the hold time or a further increase from the 11 years that we're seeing now? Or do you think it's more to do with market and stock supply? Look, I definitely think a good design is going to keep people in a property for longer. If we talk about that changing needs, I think that there was a period where, you know, the idea of an apartment was for, you know, your young city worker. And then when people have children, they move out to the burbs, the house and land. Realistically, in most cities in the world, people raise their families in apartments. In Australia, we're quite unusual in the sense that people have this idea that, no, no, you definitely need a back garden to raise your children. And I think that we're getting to a point now where because of the lack of affordability, that's just not an option for more and more people. We are seeing more people looking at apartments from the perspective of, okay, I have a family, we're moving into an apartment, what kind of apartment will suit our needs? And I think when we talked earlier about the fact that people are searching for more bedrooms, that is most clear in the apartment market. So the impact of an additional bedroom in an apartment is much greater than the impact in a house because obviously it's a smaller space. If we compare 2019 with today, 36% of searches for three-bedroom apartments in 2019, that's increased to 42% now. That's actually a really significant rise over just a couple of years. And I think that the people working from home, but also people looking to raise their families in apartments is driving that change. I think also the change comes from wanting to stay in an area that you like. I mean, you can move out to the burbs and there are still property available in the suburbs with the backyard and everything, but you will be in the car for 20 to 30 minutes if you want to go anywhere. And I think maybe the change in hold period is that people value their lifestyle a little bit more, the walkability, the being close to green spaces, the being close to amenities and work and all of those things. So you kind of just make your life work around it. I mean, the 7 to 11 years isn't because people's lives aren't changing. They're not buying and selling less because 
they're not having kids or they're not doing this or that. They are. People still are making these giant life changes. They're just dealing with them in a different way, which I think is really fascinating. So just on that overcapitalizing that Sophie mentioned, there is a tendency to overcapitalize more in a freestanding home than there would be in an apartment. And why is it important not to do that? Look, I think it depends on the individual's needs, obviously. So if you're planning on staying in your home for a very long time, maybe there is more argument for tailoring your home to best suit your needs. But if you are planning on selling your home down the track, keeping in mind not overcapitalizing, not spending too much on a renovation or a change to the property that you're not going to get that value back in the future. I think also recognizing that not all changes are going to necessarily add value. If you have a very sort of niche requirement and you make that change to your property, it might not even add value. You know, there are certain examples I can think of, like, for example, people who purchase, say, a three-bedroom townhouse and want bigger bedrooms, so they transform it into a two-bedroom townhouse, effectively reducing the value of their property. But when they owned the property, it suited their needs. So they spent money and ultimately decrease that value. So it is important to keep in mind, you know, if you are planning on staying in a property for a long time, maybe there is an argument for doing that. But if you are thinking about how much am I going to sell this for down the line, keeping in mind that a change that you make may not add value and could even reduce the value. That's a really good point in that when you do make these renovations to your home, keeping that flexibility in mind, you go, okay, well, this suits us now, but What about in five years? What about in 10 years? What about when we want to sell in seven or eight years? So it seems with our growing population, less housing stock, changes to home design, the average time people are staying in their homes may actually increase more. And especially if we are able to incorporate this clever design, that means that we actually don't need to keep moving every time that we have a life change. Thank you both for joining me. I've actually found it really informative and I hope our audience has gained some insight into how they might be able to make their home more flexible for their future. So thanks for coming on. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for joining me. This has been Real Talk. For your weekly fix, please follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and tune in next time for more real questions, news and insights on the topics that matter most from realestate.com.au, Australia's number one address in property. All information provided is general advice and opinion based on current market conditions. These opinions should not be treated as investment advice. Always obtain advice based on your individual circumstances. Real Talk acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, air and community. We pay our respects to elders past and present.